for our scripture reading, Psalm 136, what we're going to do is that I will read the first part of the statement, and then I'll invite you to join with me responsibly with the refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now we will be um, considering this a little bit uh, more in a second, but just a note for you that this is almost certainly, and scholars are in agreement on this, they hardly agree on anything, but they're in large agreement on this, that this was some sort of a response that occurred at the temple, in the synagogues, as God people, God's people would gather to give thanks. Perhaps the priest, the high priest would read something, and then maybe the Levites would respond, or maybe the priests together would read the first part, and the whole congregation responded together. Not quite sure how that worked out practically, but we're going to uh, do that together here. And um, I think that that will help us to better interpret and understand the uh, way that this psalm operates in our midst and in our lives. So, uh, responsibly, God's holy and inspired word, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever, a heritage to Israel, his servants. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, 
for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, brothers and sisters, I want you to imagine something with me this evening. Imagine that you lived in the time before Jesus Christ. Imagine with me that you are going on one of those pilgrimages to Jerusalem for one of those great feasts of thanksgiving. Whichever one you want to pick, put that in your mind. That's fine. But you are on your way to Jerusalem. You're walking many, many miles. You are going with your family, with your extended family, with people from your village or town from in which you live. And you're traveling together because not only is there safety in numbers, but as you travel, you begin to prepare your hearts for what it will be like to worship at God's holy place, to worship at His temple. Now, one of the ways that you would prepare yourself is to sing a collection of psalms called the Psalms, the Songs of Ascent. These are Psalms 120 to 134. Recall where we are right now, 136. These were called the Songs of Ascent because no matter where you lived, you could have lived on the tallest mountain. When you went to Jerusalem, when you went to the temple, you were going up. That is because Jerusalem and that hill called Zion was theologically the highest place on earth. It was the highest place because that is where earth met heaven. And so you would sing together as you journeyed with those people from your town, with your extended family, the songs of ascent. If we had time, we would go through all of those and just point out just how amazing they are to prepare your heart to gather on Zion's hill, to gather in the temple, to celebrate the Lord, and they come to a great crescendo with Psalm 134, which we sing quite often in our context, that celebrates that morning and night, praise and thanksgiving will be given to the Lord in His holy place. Now, the songs of ascent are what you sung on your journey. Psalm 134, the final one, probably as you're entering through those gates, because that makes sense of that psalm. 134, you're coming through those gates, you're breaking into it, you're seeing the glory of the temple, but what do you sing then when you're in the temple, I ask? Well, you have a choice. You have either... 135 or 136. Why do I say a choice? Because they're basically the same exact psalm. If you're to look at them later, I wish I could spend that time with you now, you can just see how they mirror one another so perfectly, so amazingly. However, there's one big difference. Psalm 136 is like the remix version. You know, get the turntables out. And then you add in the refrain... For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? That is the big difference. 
Psalm 135 is a great psalm of thanksgiving. 136 is the remix, which brings the congregation into it, or maybe the other priests with it, we don't know, where then you just sing responsibly, His steadfast love endures forever. And what does that do? That repetition. It ingrains that main message upon our hearts. It emblazons it there. That God is worthy of thanksgiving. Why? His steadfast love endures forever. Now, before we get into the body of our sermon, I do want to note the structure because this is important. And we're going to be picking up on this in just a second. Note within your Bible, if you still have it open, that there is the, uh, an opening and a closing. I, I would note the first four verses as kind of a general opening, addressing the Lord. Verses 1 through 4. And then the final verse, verse 26, is another summons to give thanks explicitly, okay? So 1 through 4, I would say, is like an opening. Verse 26 is the closing. In the middle, you have two main body sections. Verses 5 through 9 focuses on creation. And that's going to be our first point in just a moment. Focusing on thanksgiving for creation. Then, verses 10 through 22... On redemption. Okay, so God is working in creation, then God is working in redemption. But note now verse 23. This is a very key one, okay? This helps us to understand that steadfast love more explicitly. It is He who remembered us in our lowest states, okay? We're going to come back to that verse. It is He who remembered us in our lowest state, and then it notes. Verse 24, redemption. Then verse 25, creation. Okay? So we're going to have the body of verses 5 through 9, creation. Verses 10 through 22, redemption. God has remembered us. Remembered us in our redemption and then remembered us in creation. Verses 24 and 25, okay? So I want to note that structure so you kind of know where I'm going here in just a moment. Psalm 136 is giving us a well reasoned approach for giving thanksgiving to God. It is helping us to know that we give thanks to God for both creation and for redemption. So our first point here is for God's work in creation, verses 5 through 9. Here in these verses we see God made the heavens, verse 5. Verse 6, He spread out the earth above the waters. Verses 7 through 9, He Speaks of the great lights, the sun, the moon, the stars, to rule over the day and night. So we have an allusion there to days two, three, and four of God's creation week. However, I want to make clear for us that the psalmist does not have in view some purely past work that's finished of God. Because what does he do? God does not like wind up a clock, like a grandfather clock, and then walk away. But when God creates, He then works with His creation and in His creation, something we call His providence, right? He's working in, with, through creation to guide it, to govern it to its appointed end. And the psalm here has providence in view. Why do I say that? Well, 
what's going on here, there's a bit of a, an allusion, I would say, to Noah and to something I would call Noahic, Noahic providence. There are three reasons why I would say this is alluding to the Noahic covenants, which is about providence. Again, verse 23. It is He, our God, who remembered us in our lowest state. Now, that term remembered is covenant language. I'm very mindful of that. I'm kind of rusty on my Hebrew from time to time. But this is one that's easier for me because it's where my name comes from, Zakar. God remembered. It's covenant language. Where does it first appear in Scripture? And where is it very plentifully appearing in Scripture in its first instance? At the time of Noah. This is language that begins to suggest something Noahic. We note then, how has God remembered us? Verses 24 and 25 explain. Note verse 25. He who gives food to all flesh. To all flesh. What is the Noahic covenant about? God's preservation of all creation. Not just Christians, but for the benefit of all flesh. A universal covenant of preservation. Some call it a covenant of common grace. We see here that this language of remembrance that pertains to all flesh is actually the very same language there occurring in Genesis back with the time of Noah. Thirteen times God speaks to Noah about all flesh. Thirteen times. And in Genesis 9, verses 15 and 16, it's paired very tightly with Zakar, God remembering his covenants. Hear this. God says, And I will remember my covenants that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So I think that what's going on here is that there is this allusion here to God's providence as it is tuned to the Noahic covenants. That the waters and the earth and the heavens will remain distinct from one another because they were not distinguished at the time of the flood. In a way, they collapsed into each other. Creation came undone, as it were. A moment of decreation some might call it. But on this side of the flood, God promises to uphold things for the sake of all flesh. Maintaining the realms of heaven and earth and the seas. Maintaining the sun, the moon, and the stars. Maintaining all these things. Why? For the sake of earthly life. That all flesh might have food on their tables. That all flesh might have a realm in which to live. This comes not 
by impersonal chance or impersonal laws. This comes from the Lord who remembers the covenant that He made with Noah. So when we see the seasons, when we have the rain that falls, when the sun shines and warms the earth to bring forth crops, who is at work with and through creation? God is at work. In accord with His promises to Noah, God is providentially remembering His promises. His steadfast love endures forever. He remembers. He remains true to His Word. Which is why we come to yet again another Thanksgiving after another year. Because God is at work in His creation. Our first point. We give Him thanks for His work in creation. So our second point, verses 10-22, through 22, we give Him thanks for His work in redemption. Again, recall that key verse, verse 23. He remembered us. But it's not only verse 25 about His work in creation, but verse 24, He rescued us from our foes. This is talking about salvation, redemption, that we see unpacked in verses 10 through 22. God brings salvation, He brings redemption to His special people. Once again, this language of remembrance, it's clustered not only at the time of Noah, but it then becomes clustered again at another heightening of God's covenant work at the time of the Exodus, at the time when God brought His people out from bondage to bring them rescue from their foes. Hear these verses from Exodus 2 first. God heard Israel's groaning and God remembered His covenants with Abraham with Isaac, and with Jacob. Another covenant being alluded to here. Or Exodus 6, verse 5. And I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenants. Referring again to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, not to Noah. Psalm 136 focuses not so much on creation in verses 5 through 9, but it spends the bulk of its time, verses 10 through 22, in recounting God's work, remembering the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the first Exodus. Recall what happened. Verse 10. There was that death of the Egyptian firstborn, not the Jewish firstborn, but the Egyptian one. Verse 10. They departed from Egypt, verses 11 and 12. They crossed the Red Sea, verses 13 and 14. The Egyptians and Pharaoh were conquered at the Red Sea, verse 15. And then the many kings and enemies of God's people that filled not only the wilderness but the land of Canaan were conquered and dispossessed, and the possession was then given to the Israelites, verses 17 through 22. The Jews, having sung these songs of ascent, 
having entered into the gates of the temple, having given thanks for creation, then gave thanks for redemption. That first exodus. But as we recount here the first exodus, we should not stay there. Because throughout the biblical text, the first exodus always is figuring for you and for me the second and greater exodus that God has always planned through the greater mediator and redeemer, our Savior, Christ Jesus. Beloved, we give thanks tonight for our redemption because our households have not been cursed with condemnation. For we have a greater Lamb, the Lamb of God, who has already taken away the sins of the world. And so the destroyer will not destroy our households. We have been released from Egypt, you could say. Not from literal Egypt, of course, but from the bonds of the evil one, and from sin, and from death. We are free now from bondage to those enemies. From Colossians 2, we hear these glorious words. God disarmed the rulers and authorities, the spiritual ones, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. But how? By forgiving us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. The Lamb of God has been slain. Our enemies have been conquered. We have crossed the Red Sea together, having passed through the judgments. If anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. We have been raised instead to new life, not drowned with our foes. We have been brought to a place of pilgrimage, yes. We are in a wilderness. We are no, not at home quite yet. But God gives us bread from heaven for our journey. He gives us water from a rock. He does not abandon us like an orphan. He comes to us by the person of the Holy Spirit to feed us, to give us drink, to nourish us on our way. Why? Because our inheritance is before us. That land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan, it will be given to us forever and ever in remembrance of the promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Beloved, this evening, let us give the Lord thanks, not only for His work in creation, but for remembering the promises, remembering the covenant made to Abraham. He is faithful toward us in our redemption. Our second point. Third and finally, we give thanks to God for who He is. This is really how the song opens and closes. Fixing our gaze upon God's character and upon His gifts. We read in the opening, He is good. We read of His goodness. We read in verse 2 and 3, He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. 
In other words, he's sovereign within the spiritual realm. Or at the very close of the psalm, verse 26, he is the God of heaven, emphasizing for us his transcendence, his otherness. We give God thanks for who he is. And this is what the refrain impresses upon us, isn't it? That God is true. God is faithful. Even when we have been faithless, God is there for us, remembering his promises to Noah and to Abraham. God is faithful forever. He will not change. Beloved, when you and I give gifts to someone, we always hope that that gift brings about a relationship, right? Or a deeper relationship. No parent gives their kids presents at Christmas or at a birthday to just have the kid go off and forget about mom and dad, but rather it is that they might enjoy one another. This is why we give gifts. This is why God gives us gifts. So we can enjoy God. And that we can grow more deeply in that covenantal relationship with our God. His works show us who He is. It reveals to us His character. It reveals to us His beauty. It reveals to us that He is worthy of all thanks and all praise. And so as we think about His remembering His covenant with Noah and being faithful in His providence, as we remember that he's been faithful to the promises made to Abraham, and so he brings us redemption, let's not merely cling to the gifts like forgiveness, justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification, as wonderful as those are. We fix our hearts upon the giver of those gifts. And we thank the Lord, for who He is. And so as we close, let us remember tonight, tomorrow, throughout our lives, to give thanks to God for our daily bread and for the food that overflows our tables, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let us remember to give thanks to Him for His saving mercies, that we are not in our sins, but rather are found to be joined to that faithful Savior Jesus, the seed of Abraham. God has remembered those promises, and so we give Him thanks for His steadfast love endures forever. We give Him thanks for who He is, the giver of gifts, the good one, the transcendent one, the sovereign one who condescends toward us, who never changes, who is truthful, who is faithful. We give him thanks. He is worthy of thanksgiving, for his steadfast love endures forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.